Thank you for listening to this recording of Family Bible Church's Sunday morning message. We pray that God will use this word to bless and encourage you. But um, we haven't even begun. <laughs> we got a lot of scripture reading still to do. And uh, it's fun. When um, Steve started reading, felt led to read from Psalms at the beginning, and then I knew they were going to have the scripture reading up front. I said to Marcia, I said, well, I said, this wasn't even planned. She said, well, we are a Bible church. <laughs> so I, I love this. It's, it's kind of great. So, and then, um, so there were three chapters of God's Word already read today, and we're going to be reading I don't know how many more um, this morning. We have um, set aside our study of the book of Matthew to be uh, looking at the privilege that we have in prayer and, ta- and the importance of that relationship that we have with God. So over the last two weeks, we have looked at um, the privilege of prayer and the priority and place of prayer. And as we considered two weeks ago the privilege of prayer, we saw, and this was exciting too, Brian, as you were sharing all this, it's like, and he doesn't know my outline for today, you've shared my first couple slides, so it was really kind of cool, that prayer is communication with God and worship, but I slapped it together and said that it is based upon the relationship that we have with him, okay? And so... It's a privilege that we have, and um, I've been reading some of the books by Ian Bounds on prayer, and I just love this quote where he basically says what I was trying to say, but he says it more eloquently. Prayer is simply faith, claiming its natural yet marvelous prerogatives, faith taking possession of, old, old term here, illimitable, illimitable, which we would say what? Unlimitable. unlimitable, okay? Inheritance. Think about this. It's... It's simply by faith that we're claiming our natural yet marvelous prerogatives. You are the child of God. You are the bride of Christ. And he has given you the privilege to go before him whenever you choose. Knowing that he desires to fellowship with you how often? All the time. That's why Peter, or Peter, Paul says, pray without ceasing. God wants to have this continual relationship. And so, Brian, I appreciate you reading the entire chapter of John 17, since we didn't have time to really look at that, you know, when we went through it. What a beautiful prayer that Jesus gave for not just his 12, 11, because one, the son of perdition, but for us. That he, what his desire is for us, and that ultimately that we will receive the glory that he has. That's an amazing thing. And so every time I take the privilege, I opportune myself of this, I will come into the, to the presence of the God of the universe. Now, last week we then looked at the priority of that prayer. And we saw that prayer is an indicator of the importance of the relationship. I mean, how important is your wife to you? How important is your kids to you? And, I mean, step on toes, right? We know that based upon how much time you spend with them. How much money you're willing to spend on them. So who's more important, you or your family? Do you spend more money on you or do you spend more money on your family? Who's more important, you or God? So in Sunday school today, we're talking again about the, um, the elders and the people of Israel who were setting up the idols in, anybody remember? No, not in the temple. That was, that was eight. We referred back to that. Where were they setting them up? In their own hearts. They were setting them up in their own hearts. And so we, likewise, wind up setting up these idols in our hearts. And so instead of kneeling to, if you would, the God of the universe, we wind up kneeling to images made with our own hands. 
And we don't necessarily kneel to them, because as Americans, we don't kneel, right? You know, we don't bow the knee to anybody. We should. And so I want to challenge you of that as well. We don't have one of the P's here as a posture of prayer, but I, I potentially might refer to that. But still, I, if I was to write a book, I would have another P in there, and that would be the posture of prayer. Because I believe, I really honestly believe that when we physically get down on our knees before God, there's a statement that's being made. And that as Americans, we think it's okay to just kneel in our hearts. And I ask myself, you can ask yourself, Am I really? Or am I just using this as an excuse so that I don't have to humble myself, really humble myself, before the God who created me? There's something about getting down and kneeling before the God who created you. And I think it was last week, even as we talked about it, with the, or maybe two weeks ago, with the, the Islamic people, when they pray and they get down, they don't just get down on their knees. But they what? They prostrate under their faces. And that's the picture of being prostrate. That's the word that's being used. Both in the Old Testament and the New Testament, the Greek word proskuneo means to prostrate yourself before God. That's the word worship. Worship means to prostrate. And when you're down there like that, you have no defense. No defense. So, That's free. Kind of slid in there. Today we're going to move into this pattern of prayer. And I find this interesting because, as we're going to see here in Luke 11, this isn't, you know, we we continually ask, but how do I pray? You know, I mean, it's God. You know, what do I say? What do I do? What do I speak? You know, how do I do? And it's really kind of interesting because the same, it's been the same issue for a couple thousand years. In fact, Jesus' disciples said to him, he said, now it came to pass as they were praying in a certain place when he had ceased, that one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to what? Pray, as John also told his disciples. They wanted to know how to pray. I mean, we're told to pray, and they see Jesus continually what? Praying. He's getting off alone. They're trying to find him, and they can't find him, and all of a sudden they find him, and he's off praying. He sends them away so he can pray all night. Lord, teach us to pray. How do we do this thing? So we're going to talk about a pattern of prayer in a moment, but there's a warning for us as well from Matthew chapter 6, where Jesus says, he says that when you pray, again, this is a statement that he's what? Assuming that you will. When you pray, do not use vain, empty, meaningless repetition as the heathen do, for they think that they will be heard for their many words. Therefore, do not be like them. For your Father knows the things that you have need of before you ask of Him. So stop for a moment before we even talk about this pattern of prayer, okay? Be careful that you don't use this pattern as a, as a, uh, in place of just talking to God. Make sense? But there's a reality that when I, when I talk to my wife, I want to make sure that she knows that I what? I love her. I don't want to make sure, I, mean, I, I want to make sure she knows what I want to eat for the whole next week. And Lord, or Lord, yeah, my wife, yeah. Anyway, sometimes, yeah, you know. And Marsh? You know, I just want you to know while we're talking, I'd really like to have spaghetti this week, and I'd like to have a steak this week, I'd like to have a hamburger this week. Maybe we have hot dogs, and by the way, uh, could you throw in a little bit of tapioca? Okay, talk to you later. Yeah, Michelle, <laughs> you're laughing, right? Is that how Ronnie talks to you? Anyway, no, no, no. <laughs> but what would you woman think? You say, well, that's how my husband does talk to me. No. 
Is that any kind of a relationship? The reality is no. So when I talk to my wife, I want her to know how special she is to me. That's part of a what? A relationship. It's part of a relationship, okay? And so as we go through this, we're going to talk about facets of the relationship that Jesus has shown us and Paul has shown us in, in God's Word, that we see in God's Word, okay? But I want you to be careful that you don't fall into this rote, vain repetition. And I'm honest. I mean, I'm straight with you. That there are times I go before God and I have to I tell Him, Lord, I know I'm here on my knees in front of you only because I'm supposed to right now. It's a struggle for me right now. But even in that, I'm being what? Honest and I'm having a relationship. Make sense? Isn't that part of a relationship? You know, there are times when, honestly, Marsha and I aren't the best bosom buddies. You know, we're kind of like, but I'm glad, I'm super glad she's still my wife. Make sense? And so there are times when I go before God, and God, I, I'm, I rejoice in who you are, but man, I just know. I, man, I'm from blah. And I know it's me. And so help me find out what the blondness is all about. And I'm just going to lay it out there before him. Okay? So there's no, I, I don't want there to be this, the pattern that we're going to talk about. Okay? It's like, oh man, I've got to punch this ticket, punch this. Because then all of a sudden we start doing the what? The Our Fathers, the Hill Marys, the, the everything else, right? And so we're going to talk about the Our Father, <laughs> which is only not the Lord, it's, we refer to it, or it's referred to as the Lord's Prayer. It's not the Lord's Prayer. Brian dealt with this morning the Lord's Prayer. That was John 17. That was the Lord's Prayer for us. This is his model prayer. This is what he was telling the disciples. Pray like this. Pray, don't pray this. He's not telling them, and this is what you need to pray. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. I grew up in a church doing that every Sunday. That was our prayer. And then the pastor would stand up and give us absolution for our sins. He had no right to do that. There's only one mediator between God and men, and that is Jesus Christ. He's the one who absolves me of my sin, not some man. I can't absolve you of your sins. Sorry about that. Okay? That's between you and God. Okay? But we would do that every Sunday. We would stand up. We would quote the Apostles' Creed or the Nicene Creed. If it was communion, we'd do the Nicene Creed. Then we'd make sure we do our fathers. And then we'd be absolved of our sins. Oh, no. First we would quote a, a prayer that we would confess our sins, okay? And, and then, then, then he would get sent up and absolve us. But it was all in rote. There was nothing to it. There was no heart involved in it. All you had to do was what? Memorize it and speak it. So God bless Marcia, and God bless Jessica, and God bless Sam, and God bless Gabrielle, and God bless Hunter, and God bless... If, if your heart's not in it, if you're just reciting all the kids' names and your wife's name, but you're not really... Met, what's in it? There's no relationship that's going on there. I'm just rubbing the genie's lamp. There's a relationship. Just like you want to be a relationship. I don't want to, you know, go up to Brian and say, hey, how's Tammy? How's Hannah? How's, how's Abigail? How's, you know, and then I turn around and I walk away. You know? I'm re- do I really, am I really caring? I'm not. I'm just kind of going through the what? Motions. So as we come through this pattern, I just want to be careful to warn you, don't go through the motions. But, but for many of us, understanding 
pieces of things that go into it is important, okay? So that I understand to, how to grow my relationship. That's what marital counseling, right now I'm doing premarital counseling with somebody. They're a couple thinking about getting married. And, and so I'm meeting with them beforehand to help them to look at the facets that are going to go into their relationship as they come together. Because there are lots of facets of a relationship that people don't think about until after they what? Get married and <laughs> explode, right? And so that's when you do marital counseling. I'd rather do premarital counseling than postmarital counseling, if you would, okay? Um, so we're going to go into this. Now, so in the pattern, there are different patterns that are out there. Um, one that you hear of a lot is ACTS, A-C-T-S, Adoration, Confession, Thanksgiving, Supplication. I don't like that one, okay? I mean, it's okay if you like it, and it's, I don't really care, um, because, again, we're not all about a pattern, okay? But I like just using the word pray, okay? And so in, it stands for praise, because I begin with adoration, if you would, so the same thing with the ACTS, right? I begin with praise and adoration or, of understanding who God is, okay? And we'll talk about this one in, in just a little bit. Repent. Because again, as we're going to see, when I focus on who God is, it brings into light who I am. And that ought to bring me to what? The confession of sin and the desire to change, to be like him. Then, based upon that, then I can ask. Then I can seek some supplication. Because then I'm going to be asking according to his will because of who he is and who I am and what he has done for me. Now all of a sudden, it's not going to be this superfluous in my Aunt Sally's dog. Now that may be important to you and that's okay. I hope you don't have an Aunt Sally. And if you do, she doesn't have a dog. Anyways, but, but there's something to prayer that's way beyond the superficiality that we place upon it. There's an intimate relationship with, between you and the God of, of the universe. And you're only going to get there when you focus on who he really is. And understand who you are in light of that. And that's going to change what you ask for. We'll talk about this next week. But ultimately, the final point of all this is yielding. Jesus said in the garden, we'll talk about this again next week, not my will, but your will be done. It doesn't matter what I want, God. Because ultimately, as we're going to see in his model prayer, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. That that's ultimately what I desire. I desire for your will to be done on this earth as it is accomplished in the heavens. Today we want to begin looking at um, the praise part of this. And we see that Jesus starts in Matthew 6 in this model prayer with this very thing. He says, in this manner pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, I'm going to do it from the King James, that's where I memorized it, right? Hallowed be thy name. What's hallowed mean? Holy, holy, consecrated, set apart. Our Father, who's in heaven. In other words, you're what? You're above us. You're not somebody just on the earth. And that's why I said that it's communication with God in Worship. Because he is my Abba. He's told me that. That's the privilege part. I don't want to get rid of that. But the other side is, he's still God. He's my Father who is in heaven. And even his very name is what? Set apart. So, we've got a lot of verses. Okay? So, we're going to go through all these. And so, I, I failed to give out these. So, um, Steve... You be ready with First Chronicles 29, 13 to 16. Chuck, are you back there? You want to take Nehemiah 9, 5 to 8. David, are you here? All right, Brian, 
uh, Romans 16, 25 to 27. When we get there, you guys will be able to read that. Everybody else go to Psalm 30, okay? Because all the rest of these are from Psalms, okay? Psalm 30. Promise no commentary on each one of these. It's going to be hard, but I'm not going to comment. We're just going to read, okay? I know, you're like, yeah, wait. <laughs> Anybody taping this? Oh, we're taping it. No comments. All right, Psalm 30, 1 to 5. I will extol you, O Yahweh, for you have lifted me up and have not let my foes rejoice over me. O Yahweh, my God, I cried out to you and you healed me. O Yahweh, you brought me my soul up from the grave. You have kept me alive that I should not go down to the pit. Sing praise to Yahweh, you saints of his, and give thanks at the remembrance of his holy name. For his anger is but for a moment, his favor is for life. Weeping may endure for a night, but joy comes in the morning. Psalm 99. Psalm 99. It's the entirety of the psalm. Yahweh reigns. Let the peoples tremble. He dwells between the cherubim. Let the earth be moved. Yahweh is great on Sion. He is high above all the peoples. Let them praise your great and awesome name. It is holy. I believe it's it. Sorry, that's my comment. The king's strength also loves justice. You have established equity. You have executed justice and righteousness in Jacob. Exalt Yahweh our God and worship at his footstool. It is holy. Moses and Aaron were among his priests, and Samuel was among those who called upon his name. They called upon Yahweh, and he answered them. He spoke to them in a cloudy pillar. They kept his testimonies, the ordinance he gave them. You answered them, O Yahweh our God. You were to them God who forgives. Though you took vengeance on their deeds... Exalt Yahweh our God and worship at his holy hill, for Yahweh our God is holy. Psalm 100, the next psalm. Make a joyful shout to Yahweh, all you lands. Serve Yahweh with gladness. Come before his presence with singing. Know that Yahweh, he is God. It is he who has made us and not we ourselves. We are his people and the sheep of his pasture. Enter into his gates with thanksgiving and into his courts with praise. Be thankful to him and bless his name, for Yahweh is good. His chesed, his mercy, is everlasting, and his truth endures to all generations. Turn over to Psalm 113. I made a song out of this. these three verses. I won't sing it to you now, but it helps. Again, music helps you memorize. Praise the Lord. Praise Yahweh. Praise, O servants of Yahweh. Praise the name of Yahweh. Blessed be the name of Yahweh from this time forth and evermore. From the rising of the sun to the going down of the same, Yahweh's name is to be praised. Psalm 145. A long psalm. I will extol you, my God, O King, and I will bless your name forever and ever. 
every day I will bless you, and I will praise your name forever and ever. Great is Yahweh, and greatly to be praised, and his greatness is unsearchable. One generation shall praise your works to another, and shall declare your mighty acts. I will meditate on the glorious splendor of your majesty and on your marvelous, wondrous works. Men shall speak of the might of your awesome acts, and I will declare your greatness. They shall utter the memory of your great goodness, and shall sing of your righteousness. Yahweh is gracious and full of compassion, slow to anger and great in chesed, mercy. Yahweh is good to all, and his tender mercies are over all his works. All your works shall praise you, O Yahweh, and your saints shall bless you. They shall speak of the glory of your kingdom and talk of your power to make known to the sons of men his mighty acts and the glorious majesty of his kingdom. Your kingdom is an everlasting kingdom and your dominion endures to all generations. Yahweh upholds all who fall and raises up all who bow down. The eyes of all look expectantly to you and you give them their food in due season. You open your hand and satisfy the desire of every living thing. Yahweh is righteous in all his ways, gracious in all his works. Drop down to 146, Psalm 146, verse 1 and 2. Praise Yahweh, praise Yahweh, O my soul. While I live, I will praise Yahweh. I will sing praise to my God while I have my being. Drop down to verse 6. Yahweh, who made heaven and earth, the sea, and all that is in them, who keeps truth forever, who executes justice for the oppressed, who gives food to the hungry. Yahweh gives freedom to the prisoners. Yahweh opens the eyes of the blind. Yahweh raises those who are bowed down. Yahweh loves the righteous. Yahweh watches over the stranger. He relieves the fatherless and the widow, by the, but the way of the wicked he turns upside down. Yahweh shall reign forever. Your God, O Zion, to all generations. Praise Yahweh. Psalm 148. Praise Yahweh. Praise Yahweh from the heavens. Praise Him in the heights. Praise Him, all His angels. Praise Him, all of His hosts. Praise Him, sun and moon. Praise Him, all you stars of light. Praise Him, you heavens and heavens, and you waters above the heavens. Let them praise the name of Yahweh. For He commanded and they were created. He also established them forever and ever. He made a decree which shall not pass. Praise Yahweh from the earth, you great sea creatures in all the depths, fire and hail, snow and clouds, stormy wind fulfilling His word, mountains and all hills, fruitful trees and all cedars, beasts, beasts and all cattle, creeping things and fo- flying fowl, kings of the earth and all peoples, princes and all the judges of the earth both young men and maidens, old men and children. Let them praise the name of Yahweh, for His name alone is exalted. His glory is above the earth and heaven. And He has exalted the horn of His people, the praise of all of His saints, of the children of Israel, a people near to Him. Praise Yahweh. Psalm 150. Praise Yahweh. Praise God in His sanctuary. Praise Him in His... In his mighty firmament, praise him for his mighty acts, praise him according to his excellent greatness, praise him with the sound of the trumpet, praise him with the lute and the harp, praise him with the timbrel and the dance, praise him with stringed instruments and flutes, praise him with loud cymbals, praise him with clashing cymbals. Let everything that has breath praise Yahweh. Praise Yahweh. Amen. What do every one of these passages, and this is just 
I mean, just a, a sampling. And so Revelation 4, Chuck read earlier, 5, is, is, it, it quotes the exact same thing about Jesus. What do every one of these passages have in common? It's a command to what? Praise the Lord. To worship God. To praise Him. Praise Him. Why? First of all, because of who He is. He is what? What was the override? What, what, what was... Tell me. I mean, this is just class participation here. Okay? So, what was the, the primary overriding attribute of God? Speak up. Creation. That, well, that's not His attribute. Okay? That's more who He is. Okay? Say again. Holiness. He's holy. Remember Psalm 99? His name is holy. His throne is holy. And I, I state that because in the, in the Hebrew, it's a third person singular. The interpreter, translator, became an interpreter and decided that it had to refer to he. But I believe it refers to the attribute. That, that his name is holy. His throne is holy. Everything that he touches is what? Holy. Do you know what the Greek word for the saints are? Someone? Good. Hagias. Hagias. That's exactly right. Hagias. Okay? And so, and Hagias means, Zoe? Exactly. Holy ones. That's exactly what it is. So, Hebrew guy, do you know what, you know what the, the, um, the, the Hebrew word is that's used for saint? I'm going to put it because I think you might know it. Chasadeim. Chasadeim. Okay? And so, you see the Hasidic Jews... Okay, those are the ones with all black and the curly things coming down and they have the big black hat. They're Hasidic Jews. Literally what that means is they are the objects of God's chesed. We are the saints. We are the ones that are set apart. How cool is that? Because God is holy and everything He touches is what? Holy. It's like Midas, right? Everything He touched became what? Gold. It's better than that with God. Everything he touches becomes holy. You're not holy because you're holy. You're holy because he is holy. And you're in this process of becoming holy. That's called consecration. Okay? That's, that's um, sanctification. Thank you. Sanctification. It's good timing walking through. She mumbled the word to me as she came to pass. Sanctification. Thanks. She knew I was struggling. And so, but it's that we're sanctified. The word sanctified actually comes from the word saint, which means to be coming more and more saintly, which is to be set apart. So, okay, God is holy. What else is he? What do we read in all those passages? What else is he? He's all powerful. Yeah. Think about how he's displayed his power throughout all the earth and through primarily from what we're considering. It's his deliverance of his children. Think about what, what happened in Egypt with Israel. His children were what? They were slaves. They couldn't get out. They had no hope. No hope. So what did God do? He sent a deliverer. So Moses went down and Moses duked it out with Pharaoh and he beat Pharaoh up and he, and he, and he put the knife to his throat and said, let my people go or you're dead man. Did it happen that way? It didn't happen that way. Moses wasn't able to accomplish the deliverance. How was the deliverance accomplished through this deliverer? The power of God. The power of God displaying himself, yes, in nature. It, it God revealed himself in marvelous, powerful ways 
He used his deliverer in the same way than in our day to day. What are we talking about? What are we delivered from? Sin, the power of darkness, in the same way it was in Egypt. And how did God do that? He sent his only begotten son to be our deliverer. I couldn't do it on my own. Just as Israelites couldn't do it on their own. I couldn't do it on my own. So he is, he is holy. He is all-powerful. What else is he? What else do we read in all those Psalms and, 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 and Chronicles and Nehemiah and Romans? I mean, just a smattering. Who is he? Come on. Well, we just talked about the deliverer and the all-powerfulness, okay? That's something he's done, too. So we kind of smeared two things together here. But he's all-powerful. Attributes. Well, creator, but that's still who he is in his very nature and what he's done. He's merciful. Mercy is when I don't get what I deserve. Grace is when I get what I don't deserve. Mercy is when I don't get what I do deserve. How awesome is that? He's a God of grace and mercy. Throughout all this, he's a God of righteousness. What's righteousness? It's that which is right from the perspective of God. I mean, just by definition it is. Okay? You know, one of the problems with our country today is that we've lost our moral compass. We don't have God as true north, if you would, okay, on that compass. And so, therefore, every man does what is right in his own eyes because their compass is just what? It's spinning. It's kind of fun. So, the other night when the, the other Hayes, Thomas and Elizabeth Hayes, were in town, they had to leave early this morning. They wanted to be here. Um, but I was showing them the stars and stuff in the planets with you know different apps you can use and while i was looking at it i mean i just used the one and 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 and, you know it this one puts up a grid with polaris which is the north star right and so i showed it to him and i i I put my phone down and i went to put it back up and all of a sudden my phone became disoriented it's kind of weird anyways it could not find i mean as i moved around the whole scope is moving all over the place north pole was like everywhere you know it's like this is really kind of weird. And I knew exactly where it was. I could see it right there, you know. And so when I went there, though, it's, it's, the phone's putting it over there. My phone had lost its bearing. Does that make sense? And by, now, I knew where True North was. I knew where that North Star was. Make sense? But had I not known it and I was trusting this, where would I be going at in the middle of the woods? And buddy, I was circles. That's exactly because this thing was going in circles. It literally was. And here I would be following this thing, and I had to turn off the app and turn it back on so it could become reoriented. And sometimes we got to do that. We got to unplug from the world because we are getting what? Disoriented with what is true north, if you would, righteousness. What is true righteous, truly righteous, is that which is from God. If you want to know what righteousness really is, if you really want to know, if you really want to know, do you understand? There's a conditional there. Because, honestly, many of us, what? We don't want to know. If you want to know, that means you've got to read God's Word. With the desire to learn it. That's exactly right. Okay? So God is, okay, He's holy. He is all-powerful. He is merciful and gracious. He is righteous. Any others that came from any of that? That just kind of stuck out at you? Bam. Unconditional love. Unconditional love. That's that mercy and grace all put together. That's real. I mean, it's unconditional. That he's going to hold us accountable. He's also because he's also just. That's the other side of that. Part of that righteousness is his justice. But he's still going to what? Love us the whole way through. 
He's eternal. This is huge. Do you know, again, we go back two weeks ago, but we, we, we fully describe eternity based upon what? The concept of time. He's literally limitless is what it is. He has no limit. Time, space, matter. He is, he's omnipresent because he is eternal in, um, in space as well. We should praise God for what he has done, his works. Worship is when we praise God for who he is and what he has done. That should be a part of my life every day. When I wake up, I have something to praise God for. What do I have God to praise for? I get another day to live. I love Mark. You know, when you ask me how am I doing, a lot of times my, my answer is what, Natasha? It's well with my soul. Okay? I'm focusing on the fact that one day I'm going to be there. If you ask Mark, how's he doing? Anybody know how Mark's going to answer? He's not here right now. How's he going to answer? I, I heard it. Better than I deserve. That's exactly right. Better than I deserve. I love it. That's exactly right. I am better than I deserve. I don't deserve all this goodness that God has given to me. But every day I wake up, God has blessed me with another day. He doesn't have to do that. I didn't have to be made in his image and likeness. I didn't have to be given the privilege to know him. I didn't have to be having God's word in in, in my presence to be able to read and to know him better. What a beautiful privilege that he has given to us. So praise, praise God for who he is. Praise God for what he's done. So last week, uh, it was really kind of exciting. Um, the care, care group, we had a great time of prayer. It was an awesome time of prayer. And I, for the life, I felt like burdened to end this thing with the doxology. And me and songs, I mean, we're like this together, right? But for the life of me, I couldn't come up with the doxology. I just knew we were gonna, we, uh, that we, we should close with the doxology, and I couldn't come up with praise God from whom all blessings flow, praise him all creatures here. I mean, my brain is just spinning, and I couldn't come up with this. And so I'm thinking, well, okay, I guess it's not going to happen. And we, I said amen, and then from over on this side, those who are here, what happened? Mr. Chuck started with praise God from whom all blessings flow, praise him all creatures here below. We hadn't coordinated that, but God had. How cool is that? Because that's in the end what it's all about. Praise God from whom all blessings flow. Praise Him all creatures here below. Praise Him above, you heavenly host. Praise Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. Prayer is considering the attributes of God and His worthiness to be praised should have a profound effect upon me as I come into this holy God's presence. As I come before Him, I, I need, if I'm not stopping... In considering who he is, then I'm just treating him with contempt. He's the God of the universe. It ought to take my breath away that I have the opportunity to come before him. Isaiah 6 transitions us from this time of praise into the time of repentance. Where we see Isaiah says, In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting on a throne, high and lifted up. In the train of his robe filled the temple. Above it stood seraphim. Each one had six wings, and with two he covered his face, because they didn't, couldn't even look upon God, the angels. 
With two, he covered his feet because of the humility. And with two, he flew. And one cried to another and said, Holy, holy, holy is Yahweh Sabaoth. The whole earth is full of his glory. And the posts of the door were shaken by the voice of him and cried out. And the house was filled with smoke. And so I said, Woe is me, for I am undone. He looked upon the holiness of God and he realized what? He deserved to be exterminated. Who was he to be in the presence of the holy God? Woe is me, for I am undone. I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell amongst the people of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the King, Yahweh Sabaoth, the Lord of hosts. When you come into the presence of the King, when you come into the presence of God, and you begin to meditate upon who he is, and you begin to praise him for who he is, you begin to to focus on his holy, he's not just holy. He's not just holy, holy. He's holy, holy, holy. And in the Hebrew, that's the, 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 the um, comparatives, okay? And so it's a superlative is the third one, okay? So you have he's holy, then you have the comparative. He's holier. That's what we would say. But then you have the superlative. He is what? The holiest. That's what's being said. He's holy, holy, holy. He's not just holy. He's not just holy, holy. He's holy, holy, holy. That's who he is. And all of a sudden, Isaiah is in the midst of this and he realizes that I'm not as righteous as I thought I was. I'm a worm. I deserve to die. I deserve to be destroyed. Who am I that I should be in this presence? And so a focus and a praise of God, a focus on who God is, should bring us to this concept of repentance. Repentance has four steps involved in it that you have on your... The, um, your sermon note sheet. First one being comprehension. Comprehension is understanding what your actions truly are. So uh, David declares in Psalm 51, he says, Have mercy upon me, O God, according to your loving kindness, according to the multitude of your tender mercies, blot out my transgressions, wash me thoroughly from my iniquity, and cleanse me from my sin, for I acknowledge my transgressions, and my sin is always before me against you, and you only have I sinned and done this evil in your sight, that you may be found just when you speak and blameless when you judge. It's all about God. And David realizes what? What he did was sin. It was wrong. And so we know from Good News Club, right? Sin is anything that I think, say, or do that displeases God. Sin is disobedience to God. It's just boil it down. It's all it means that I disobeyed God. You know what it's really? It's rebellion. I rebelled against God. And note the little fine print up here that I made a little bit smaller. This is a psalm of David when Nathan the prophet went to him after he had gone into Bathsheba. Know what he says against you and you only have I sinned. Do you know what he did? Yeah, he not only committed adultery with Bathsheba, then he had her husband murdered. And David says, I sinned against you. He doesn't say, I sinned against Bathsheba, I sinned against Uriah. I sinned against Joab, who I may do my my dirty deed. I sinned against you, and you only have I sinned, and done this this abominable deed. The comprehension of what we have done, of who we are. And that brings us then into this contrition, this contriteness. It's a sincere, note, I have that capitalized for a reason. Sincere remorse for wrongdoing. You got caught with the cookie crumbs all over you and so you say to mom and dad what i'm sorry i'll never do it again yeah right what are you really saying 
No, that's not that. No, because you got caught, so it's really you. Well, no, don't, don't spank me. That's why, don't spank me. Don't send me in my room. I'm sorry, I won't do it again. In other words, don't what? Don't punish me. Don't give me what I deserve. Ooh. Don't give me what I deserve. Now, we're not going to say it that way, are we? But that's really the statement of fear. I know that I broke the law. I know that I went against, I rebelled against what you've instructed me to do. And so now what I want you to do is look the other way. Ouch. Many of us sin, have sins of presumptuous, of, of presumption. We presume upon the grace of God. Because we know God is faithful. Contrition. Contrition is sincere remorse. And so we read in 2 Corinthians chapter 7, Now I rejoice not that you were made sorry, but that, that your sorrow led to repentance. For you were made sorry in a godly manner, that you might suffer loss from us in nothing. For godly sorrow produces repentance, leading to salvation not to be regretted, but the sorrow of the world produces death. I'm sorry. And that does it. We handle it. I'm sorry. It doesn't mean change anything, does it? It means what? I'm sorry I got caught. I'm sorry it caused you consternation because your consternation is causing me consternation. Yes? That's really what I'm saying. I'm sorry that I offended you. Why? Because your you're being offended is, is bothering me right now. <laughs> You've messed up my little world here. We were doing good. If you wouldn't have got offended at my little pa, we'd be okay. I can't believe that you're so stinking sob righteous like this. Now, we wouldn't say all that. We wouldn't say that. But within ourselves, that's kind of how we are. But true godly sorrow can be seen because it's going to bring, it's going to end with what? Repentance. Change the way you think. Sorrow of the world only is, sorry, and then you do what? You do it again. Because you're really not sorry for what you did. You're sorry for the consternation that has come about it. That leads then to confession. It's acknowledgement and agreement with God that it is sin with a desire for forgiveness. Luke 18, we have... Jesus giving the prayer of, of two men who went to the temple. The first was the Pharisee. We read, two men went up to the temple to pray, and one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee stood and prayed thus with himself, God, I thank you that I'm not like other men, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, even as this tax collector. I fast twice a week. I give tithes of all that I possess. And the tax collector, standing afar off, would not so much as raise his eyes to heaven, but beat his breast, saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. Jesus said, I tell you, this man went down to his house justified rather than the other. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, and he who humbles himself will be exalted. The Pharisee went in his righteousness, exalting in his righteousness. The tax collector understood who he was. He had that comprehension of what was happening. And he came then in contrition before God, and that contrition then brought confession. I'm a sinner. Before you I stand condemned. And that's what 1 John is all about. It's that spiritual Oreo. We like the cream filling in the middle. 
If you confess your sin, he's faithful and just to forgive your sin and cleanse you from all unrighteousness. So go ahead and sin all you want because all you got to do is say what? Sorry, God. And he has to do it. But that's not what this passage means. The word confession is the word homo legitsomai. I know it's on the tip of your tongue. Anyways, homo legitsomai, homo, the same, legitsomai, to speak as, to say the same thing as. So you say the same thing about what you've done that God said about what you've done. Lying lips, finish it, are an abomination to Yahweh. So when you lie to somebody and you get caught, are you abhorred at yourself? Are you falling flat, flat out prostrate before God because you are a stench in his nostril? What if you don't get caught and the Holy Spirit just convicts you of it? You're still a stench in his nostril whether you get caught or you don't. Lying lips are an abomination to God. That's what it is. Unjust weights, scales, are an abomination to God. He doesn't like injustice. He wants it to be done in righteousness. So anytime you, you give preference to somebody else for whatever reason, whether it's because of their money or because of their standing or because of you like their, their looks or whatever it is, when you do that, you're an abomination to God. Do you get it? That's what confession is all about. If you say you have no sin, you deceive yourself, and the truth is not in you. If you confess your sin, he is faithful and just to forgive your sin and cleanse you from all unrighteousness. If you say you have not sinned, you make God a liar, and his word isn't in you. Do you know why I can stand up and I can be pretty honest about the things I struggle with? Because there's no troublesome situation that's overtaken me, but such as common to men. I'm preaching to a bunch of sinners. But you know what you got preaching to you, right? A vile sinner. I'm not Jesus. And we need to get that concept. It's not, I had somebody once come tell me I had a, a, a poor self-image. Really? I think I got a great self-image. I'm a worm. I'm nothing. I am a vile, despicable sinner. Saved by God's grace. And because of that, I'm somebody. Not because of me. But because of what he has done for me and the position that he's allowed me to have. That makes me a somebody. But that shouldn't be puffed up because, again, it's not about me. It's all about him. Do you get it? If you think you're somebody, you've got a poor self-image. <laughs> Sorry. We change the way the world thinks upside down. Change the way you think. People feel like you've got to love yourself so you can love other people. No. You already love yourself. That's a given. That's why the greatest commandment is to love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, all your mind, all your strength. And the second, like unto it, love your neighbor as yourself. Because you already do. Finally, there's bearing fruits consistent with repentance. Jesus told, or John the Baptist told the Pharisees when they were coming to him, you brood of vipers who warned you to flee the wrath to come. Therefore, bear fruits worthy of repentance. And we see in Acts 26, Paul, at the end of his ministry, he's standing before King Agrippa, and King Agrippa was saying, almost you persuaded me, Paul. And, and he says to King Agrippa, he says, I was not disobedient when he's giving him his testimony. He says, I was not disobedient to the heavenly vision, but declared first to those in Damascus and in Jerusalem and throughout all the region of Judea, and then to the Gentiles, that they should repent, turn to God, and do works befitting of repentance. 
we always there's all this discussion going on about um, well repentance just is, is saying I'm sorry and, and asking for forgiveness and, and and so what does it look like well throughout the scriptures we're told that repentance is always joined with what works. In fact, there in Revelation 2, when Jesus is talking to the church of Ephesus, he says, says, you've done all these wonderful things, but nevertheless, I have one thing against you, just one. You've lost your first love. And if you don't repent and remember from whence you have fallen, and you repent and do the what? First works. You need to repent. Change the way you think. And if you change the way you think, it's going to what? Change the way you act. You want to know how somebody has, has true God, godly sorrow? They're going to change the way they act. Because they're going to change the way they think. They're going to change the way they think. They're going to change the way they act. Does that mean that they're going to be perfect in the future? No, they may stumble and fall again. But it's not going to be that they, they just say, well, I'm sorry. And then they go and they continue to do what they've done. That's worldly sorrow. So, repentance, comprehension, contrition, confession, Correction. Do we really honestly repent? That's what revival is all about. So this is our week of prayer and fasting. Really is what other churches refer to as their week of revival. And they bring in speakers and that kind of stuff. We don't have that. We have one speaker. Who's that? God. That's exactly right. The Holy Spirit comes to speak to us. And we need to respond to his word, not to a man tickling our ears. But God's word is true. And if God's word will not provoke us to repentance, forget the, the words of a man. What does your prayer life reveal about your relationship with God? Because it does. How often do you consider the majesty of our God? Does your prayer life consist of a grocery list of items you want? Are you God-focused or self-focused in your prayer? When you come to God, is it every, you just want to tell Him everything about you? Or are you really interested in, in Him? What effect does the consideration of God's holiness and righteousness have upon you? Is there then a need to change the way you think and therefore change the way you act? Let's pray. Father, thank You for Your love. Thank You for Your goodness to us. You alone are the Most High God. There is no other God but You. You have breathed into us the breath of life. We have nothing, nothing, nothing to claim to come to you other than your mercy and your grace, other than your goodness to us. Lord, I pray that you be glorified in my life. I pray that you be glorified in the life of this assembly. It's your body. Lord, I pray that your spirit, the Holy Spirit, would work powerfully among us that you would convict each of us individually and then as a body of our sin, Lord, of our unrighteousness, Lord, that of ways that we displease you, that we might be able to have that dross removed and that we might be continually conformed to your image and your likeness, that we might magnify you, Lord, in our homes, in our neighborhoods, in our workplaces, in our community, and in this assembly. Lord, we ask for a great awakening. We ask for a revival. Lord, we ask that you would be glorified. And so in that, Lord, I pray that you would begin the work in us, that we would begin to be truly a people who praise you, who consider who you are and what you have done, and give you the glory 
that you rightfully deserve. Again, you alone are God. There is none other. Help us to praise you, Father. In Jesus' name, amen.